Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, we are excited to hear another voice of eating disorder recovery. Jason Wood is here to share his personal story, his passion, and awareness work with us. Jason combined his therapeutic love of writing with his mission to break the stigma around men's mental health and eating disorders by launching Orthorexia Bites in 2021. He's now a man on a mission and will be releasing his first book, a memoir titled Starving for Survival this month. When he's not busy writing, Jason enjoys spending time exploring his beautiful new home state of Colorado with his pups, Arnie and Walter, and his husband, Matt. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Fantastic. We have so many important things to cover. So let's just dive in. I think a good place to start is with a little understanding of your eating disorder. So eating disorders, of course, are incredibly complex. There's no one single cause. We know there's a biological component, genetic component. We're learning so much more about that from research, as well as this variety of social and psychological factors that contribute to the development of eating disorders. So we can't certainly connect all of those dots in a, in a short conversation like this, but maybe you could tell us about some of the early experiences that shaped the way that you felt about food and enter your body. What was your relationship with food and body like growing up? Yeah, so growing up, uh, I grew up overweight and it was something that the bullies at school, they made sure to point it out to me. So I was constantly picked on for being overweight. Uh, I would be called different names and it was just very hurtful. At a young age, I realized that I couldn't walk into a room and allow my personality to dictate who I was. I was already applied with the label of being the fat kid or something along those lines. And it uh, made me very insecure about myself. I've always been the type of person that's an overachiever achiever, a perfectionist, a people pleaser. So to have this kind of what felt like a flaw just out there on display for everyone was very hurtful and uh, caused a lot of pain for me. And it was at that young age, I can think back second grade, third grade, when it started occurring, uh, that I started to kind of have that unhealthy relationship with who I was and how my body looked. And then once I got into high school and uh, I lost the weight, that's when dieting kind of became my identity. It felt like it was something I was good at. And at that point, the same people that had been picking on me growing up or in the locker room were now suddenly praising me uh, as if I did something wonderful. So at that point is when that seed was planted, where it felt like dieting and exercise and a healthy lifestyle, that was going to be my identity because that could make the people people around me think that I was good. Oh my goodness. I think that that, that has so much poignancy and all sorts of unfair things about it in the, in the world. And we know that those sorts of, of weight teasing and, and, and then the confusion of being teased and then being, you know, admired later dieting, it's all just so complex. And we know it's even deeper, right? The eating disorders are even deeper than body image and from that experience. What, I, what other life experiences or pressures or parts of your identity feel important to you to mention in your story? And, and how does that impact your relationship with food as well? 
Yeah, so after um, high school, well, during my adolescent years, I lost uh, both of my parents at a young age. They uh, both passed away from cancer. Uh, my dad when I was 11, my mom when I was 19. And losing them really sent my life into uh, a tailspin. Everything seemed like it was falling out of control. And uh, I saw my family fall apart. I fell into financial hardships. And uh, at that point, I kind of fell into drugs and alcohol. And I was just making some bad decisions. And I felt like a failure. I felt like a disappointment. So I turned back to food. I thought, this is the one thing, again, that I'm good at. This is the one thing that gives me value. So that's when I really started to double down on what I referred to at that point as an unhealthy relationship with food. It was definitely disordered eating because I was, I was trying to restrict to control everything. I thought it could just control my life. And around that time, I was also battling uh, with my sexuality. Um, I grew up in a very conservative religious family. And again, I was worried about coming out as a gay man because I thought I was going to lose my personality. I thought I was going to lose my individual identity and that I just have that label slapped on me, much like I did as the fat kid when I was younger. I thought, now I'm just going to be this gay guy and I'm going to have to follow all these stereotypes and I'm going to lose my identity. So I was suppressing that. And and again, it was that unhealthy relationship with food that I could turn to. On top of all of that, I was struggling with my masculinity. We have so many masculine norms in society right now. And as a gay guy, I felt very insecure about that. As somebody who didn't have a father figure during my adolescent and teenage years, felt very insecure about that. And all of this just made me feel like a failure and a disappointment at the end of the day. So again, it was turning back to that food, turning back to dieting and exercising as a means to maybe try to comfort myself or to feel good enough at something. Wow. I just want to acknowledge that's a lot that you went through. And that is an incredible amount of loss and transition and grief and uncertainty and all of that, I kind of coming at the same time is pretty incredible. And thinking about how that message around food and the message around acceptance and like being lauded for those behaviors from society just feels like such a complicated uh, web that I can imagine that you felt caught in. When you were in that process and your and your disordered eating was was starting to turn into this eating disorder, what, was there a tipping point or were there pieces that, that came along that really sort of pushed you into the full-blown eating disorder? Yeah, so I finally started to get my life put together in my mid-20s and I met who would eventually be my husband, Matt, and life seemed to be going really well. Well, then all of a sudden, here I was at 29 and I had a health scare. I had a close call with colorectal cancer, which was the same cancer that had taken my dad at a young age. And that's when it just, it really scared me because I thought, here I am, 29, my body's already turning against me. I want to live a long life. Things are going really good. I want to be there for mad. I want to be happy and healthy for a long time. And that's when I started searching for different diets that I could do to prevent cancer and just kind of eat as healthy and as clean as possible. And I thought that was the key to longevity. So that's when I really doubled down on my commitment to dieting and healthy, a healthy lifestyle. 
I ended up taking it too far. But I remember at age 29, having the doctor say, you know, a couple more weeks, if you would have waited to come in for your colonoscopy, you would have had colon cancer. That scared, that literally scared me to death. And it was at that point that I was do, willing to do whatever it took to try to prevent that from happening. That's incredible. And there's so much information out in the world on healthy eating and messages connected to health that I imagine that having that, that fear and concern and moment really opened up even more of a, a, a portal, if you will, to the healthy eating, dieting corners of the world. How did people respond to your sort of desire to eat healthy in this sort of approach? Did, did, did they think it was a problem? Did you think it was a problem? How did that go? Take us through that. Yes. So I was praised for it for a very long time. It was something that people would say, oh, wow, Jason, you've got incredible willpower. You're so good at dieting. You're eating such a healthy lifestyle. You take such good care of yourself. I wish I could be like that. And it just built me up. It was like, okay, well, I must be doing something right. I would go even to my doctors and they'd be like, wow, your pulse is so low. Your blood pressure is so low. You must be a marathon runner or something. And the truth is the only time I run is if somebody's chasing me. But I would hear this feedback from medical professionals and think, hey, I'm an athlete. I must be doing something right. So it was pretty much praise across the board. When And to me, I could justify it because when you go out to dinner with somebody, how many times do you hear them say, ooh, I'm going to be bad tonight and have dessert or ooh, I'm going to cheat on my diet. And it's like, okay, well, if they're going through that stuff, then I'm I, that's exactly what I'm experiencing. Little did I know that I was taking it to the extremes. It was something that was starting to consume me. It just wasn't casual conversation. It was actually starting to take over my life. And uh, it was at that point that I think things really started to escalate because here I was legit thinking that I was going down the right course. And really I was, what I say now is, I was literally killing myself to live longer at that point. And so you kind of got to this place where you're like, oh wait, I think this is a problem in itself. Then what happened next? What about anybody that you brought this concern to to get support from professionals or get help from people? What was the reaction you got when you brought this to, to people who could in theory help you? Yeah, so it was my husband who opened my eyes to everything. I, I, I call it the infamous PETA incident, but uh, we were out to dinner um, on a short trip out of town, and uh, I had asked to substitute the pita bread on the hummus platter for fresh vegetables. Well, the waiter couldn't fulfill that request, and I fell apart. I started crying. I got hysterical. I was I wanted the trip to end. I just wanted to go home. I was angry. I was aggressive, and it was in that moment that my husband said, "Hey." what's going on? I'm concerned about your eating habits. I'm concerned that you're dealing with unresolved pain from your past, from losing your parents. And it was in that moment that he opened my eyes to it. Up until that point, I was completely blind to any notion that I could have an eating disorder or anything of the, of the sorts. I thought I had this healthy lifestyle that I was pursuing. So even though I was experiencing uh, physical effects and uh, mental and emotional effects, I couldn't see it. I thought I was still committed to this healthy lifestyle. So after my husband brought up those concerns, 
I made an appointment with my uh, primary care physician and discussed everything with him. I told him about the anxiety I had around food. I told him about the obsessive food rules that I had, the very strict food rules that I had and the obsessive thoughts that I had around food. And it was in that moment that he diagnosed me with an unspecified eating disorder as well as OCD and anxiety. And it was through that diagnosis that it, it all started to sink in a little bit, but there was still that part of me that questioned everything because uh, unspecified eating disorder just didn't sound that serious to me. It felt like other, um, if, you're, if you're taking a survey or something, it didn't, it just didn't really land. So I didn't know where to go next. I didn't know really who to reach out to. I didn't even really know at that point if I needed help. There was that one question that would constantly pop into my mind. Am I really that sick? Do I wanna take resources from people who are sick? And uh, those were things that I battled at the start of my recovery. Yeah, there are so many, so many nuggets in that, that that I want to touch on a little bit. If we can go back to the PETA incident for a moment, that I I think that that is so poignant, and and so many people have been in that spot of weeping over a meal substitution when really most people manage when the server says no or the type of pizza changes or the we don't have that food in stock. Most people don't break down and cry, but I, I have a, a similar pizza incident with that involves pizza changing and crying. And that I think it's really critical to highlight how serious and how, how bad that feels to the person experiencing it and how unusual it feels to the people in their life. Thinking I'm sitting at a table in a restaurant and you're crying over pita. I'm with you, like I get it. And I think most, a lot of people don't, like what's happening? That it really highlights how eating disorders aren't really about food, but they sure are about food, particularly when the food shows up or in that case doesn't show up, right? So I think that illustrates so, so deeply that connection to, to why it seems like it's all about food sometimes and other times not. I often say that the food is the tangible portion of the eating disorder. It's what you can actually see on the surface. There's a lot more going on beneath, but yeah, it's at that meal time. It's when that food is right there in front of you that it actually displays itself. Absolutely. And the, the response, if we jump to the response of, uh, that you had in, in that conversation with the physician around the diagnosis that, that you got, that that makes total sense too. It, yeah, it feels like, I mean, what's unspecified mean? That definitely feels like the lost box on the form to check. And I think it highlights, just really a comment, I, th I think it highlights the lack of, of training that physicians receive. I don't fault that physician at all. In fact, they probably had like 14 minutes on eating disorders in med school in their education, right? And so that lack of awareness often leads people to feel like they don't get enough support or understanding or, or early recognition. And so it's, it sounds like an unfortunately common experience that you had, but also a beautiful example that you were sort of like, I don't know, is that a problem? Seems like it is, not really sure that that really helped to move you through in some ways too. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're so right. I, I never fault my physician for that. And in fact, one of the things is that people will ask me about that all the time. Like, did I change my doctor after that? What did I do? And um, I, when I asked him, who do I go to? Who do I reach out to now for help? He didn't know. He didn't know where I should reach out to because my situation was unique for him and it was something that he was not prepared for. And I don't fault him for that. It, I think that's one of the big motivations I have for being out here and sharing my story now, because I want to educate people and I want to bring that lived experience so that it helps not just other people who are battling eating disorders, but the professionals who treat individuals who are battling eating disorders. And that's one of the reasons why I've uh, started the blog and just been out here sharing my story just to, just to um, enlighten and educate people just on that lived experience. Absolutely. I think it's impressive you know, kudos to your your physician for even going to think about eating disorders. That so many times you might have been, that might have been sort of totally passed over in your concerns to in that conversation. So I think it's fantastic that um, that it was at least brought up. So that's a it's a good step in the right direction. So then then what happened? You brought this awareness, you know, internally, externally. You brought it to a health professional, sought support there. Take us a little bit from, from that moment to where you are now. Yeah, so it's been it's been quite the climb since then. Um, I started off and I didn't know who to reach out to. I was dumbfounded. I would search online. And when you look for a lot of eating disorder support services, you see the stereotypes. You see young females. You hear about stories of anorexia and bulimia. But here I was, a, a guy in my mid-30s looking for help from an unspecified eating disorder. I eventually decided, and it happened happened by luck that I should reach out to a therapist. I was like, okay, let's just start there. Maybe if we can work through the OCD and anxiety that I have, maybe that will be a good starting point. And uh, I reached out to numerous therapists about this unspecified eating disorder, or as I said back then, an unhealthy relationship with food. I still wouldn't even say eating disorder when I would reach out in my emails. And for the most part, none of them really knew how to help. But then I finally got in touch with one and he said, I don't have a lot of experience. I've never had a client with an eating disorder before, but he's like, I, I see that unresolved pain. I see the anxiety, I see the OCD. He's like, let's work through that. So I started having those open and honest conversations with him. And through those conversations, we didn't even talk about food or my eating disorder, but I noticed that my relationship with my body, with my dieting, it was starting to heal. It was starting to get better. So then I reached out to a nutritionist and she, again, had not really worked with anybody who'd battled an eating disorder before, but she was willing to learn alongside of me. So we crafted a meal plan to build myself back physically. I think it started with the therapist who built me up emotionally and mentally and then the fair and then the nutritionist came in from the physical standpoint and really started healing that that relationship with food and um it was through meeting with them several times at first it was several times a week then it progressed to several times a month in addition to a lot of supplemental things that i started to do i wanted to read a lot i took a very academic approach to my recovery i wanted to learn more about eating disorders i wanted to hear stories of individuals 
individuals who had battled eating disorders before me. I wanted to hear what the professionals were saying. So I started doing a lot of reading and that was also very helpful to me. That's actually when I uncovered the term orthorexia, which I would later realize is exactly what I was facing. And it was through seeing what orthorexia is that I could finally explain to my therapist, my friends, my family, I could explain to them that I did have an eating disorder, that what I was facing wasn't just something that was unspecified. It actually had a name. It had a label. And that really changed a lot for me. That's when, that was a big turning point in my recovery. And then it was also around that time that I realized as a guy battling an eating disorder, I needed to get out there and I needed to start sharing my story because there's not many men who talk about it. As somebody who's battling orthorexia, there's not many people talking about it. I needed to get out there and change that as well. And that's why I decided late last fall that I was gonna start writing uh, because that's something that I've always been very passionate about. It's always been my outlet. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm gonna start a blog. And I, I don't think I realized when I started my blog that I would help myself out as much as I've helped out other people. Um, it just being able to write is, is such a therapeutic experience for me. I take a few minutes every day now and I write my recovery journal. And uh, through my writing, I'm able to connect with other people who are in the same situation that I am or similar situations. And I realize that we have a community where we can build each other up. We just have to embrace that vulnerability. It's scary. It's a big step outside of our comfort zones. But once we do that, it's pretty incredible to make those authentic connections with another individual individual. And that has been just extremely beneficial in my recovery and really helped me get to where I'm at today. That is a, a beautiful illustration of something we talk a lot about is the, that how relationships, relationships help us heal and change, right? Relationships help us know more about who we are and really have us connected more to the greater, the greater world out there. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see what that kind of connection can do and connection to other people who know you know, know about crying over food or being distressed about food or having those thoughts around eating disorder behaviors and, and responses, that connection can be so critical. And with your experience of, of finding orthorexia as the, as the term that made the most sense, you know, we, we know that orthorexia is not a, a DSM-5 eating disorder diagnosis. At the current time, we'll see if it changes in the next edition of the DSM. I know there's a lot of conversation around uh, really helping to define more thoroughly and carefully the unspecified or either the, the other categories. So I, I look forward to the future to see how that works out in terms of our linguistics and how we label. But I do think your story around that healthy eating and utilizing, sort of thinking about healthy eating as a, as a path to health and wellness is so common in our society. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a healthy lifestyle or to live a healthy lifestyle, but then there's individuals like myself, when it goes too far, it goes to the extremes where suddenly I'm no longer consuming food, food's consuming me. At that point, my all of my thoughts revolved around this healthy lifestyle, and I saw it impact my social health. I saw it impact my relationships. I, I saw it impact my just quality of life in general, my overall happiness, because I was constantly worried about making sure that I stuck to these strict rules that I had put in place because I thought at the end of the day, that was the only way I could keep disease away. Right. 
So you're doing a bunch of awareness raising around the, the eating disorder and the relationship with food piece, but you're also doing some really awesome awareness raising and conversation generating around masculinity and blog and elsewhere. So tell us a little bit about the conversations you're having in that realm too. Yeah. So when I launched the blog, I thought, okay, orthorexia bites. I'm going to be out here talking about orthorexia all the time and eating disorders. And I never realized that there were so many other men out there who battled with their own masculinity the way that I did for so long, where to simply put it, we didn't feel man enough. For one reason or another, we didn't feel like we matched those masculine stereotypes that exist in our society. And it creates a lot of self-doubt. And I think at some way that opened the door for my eating disorder a little bit because it caused me to have that low self-esteem. I, I felt inferior. I never felt good enough. And it was because I was chasing these ideals that we have in store for men, that they're these quiet, strong types that don't show emotions. And I remember back in high school when I had a gym teacher call me a sensitive guy. And I took offense to that because I thought it was an insult. Now I'll proudly say I'm a sensitive guy. Yes, I, I have emotions that it's part of being a human. And I think that that's one of the things that we've lost in society is that we think men aren't humans. For, for some reason, we think they're almost like robots or something where, where they're just here to protect us and be quiet, but they're not supposed to show any emotion or anything like that. And now it's through launching this blog and making these connections that I'm realizing there is a community of men out there who feel the exact same way that I do. And it's been pretty empowering to be able to just speak about changing the narrative around what it is to be a guy and change those gender norms in general that we have for men and women. And I, I think it's been such a, such a powerful conversation that I didn't even plan on. It was something I did not even think about when I started my blog, but it's been one of the most welcome benefits of doing so. That's fantastic. You're sort of uncovering new facets as you go. So when we started our conversation, we were talking about your quest to be healthy and the, the energy behind that and the, the anxiety and the previous experience that was attached to that. But in recovery now, you're on a quest to be healthy, but it's a whole different quest and a whole different healthy. How, how would you describe you know, what does healthy mean to you now? Yeah, so so back then, back back in the old days, I was pursuing just physical health. That's really all that I was concerned about, or so I thought. I did I underestimated the power of mental health. I underestimated social health, emotional health, the other health. And I think that's something that it starts even back in school when we take health class. We don't learn about the other stuff. We just learn about, you know, dieting and exercising and stuff. So it's planted in our heads at a young age. And it was just something that to me, thinking about health, okay, it's my physical appearance, especially because I had been made fun of for so long. So it was physical appearance. It was what was coming in my body. I thought that was the only thing that meant if I was living a healthy lifestyle. Now I realize that there's a lot more to just to a, a healthy lifestyle than just worrying about what you eat or how much you exercise. For starters, exercising is different now. Back then, exercising was to enable myself to be able to eat more food or to maybe work off the guilt from the meal before. Now I work out because it's fun. It's something I enjoy to do. I, I started rock climbing in my recovery. And when I work out now, I work out for performance. It's no longer for aesthetics. I work out because I really enjoy rock climbing. I enjoy playing tennis. I want to be able to do those activities at a, at a good level 
level. I want to be good at them. So that's why I work out now. It's fun now. It's no longer punishment. It's no longer some try some way to try to relieve my stress or worry about the next meal. It's simply because it's fun. I eat now intuitively. I eat because that's the food I want to eat. And I realized that I still eat a lot of foods that, you know, are probably very nutrient dense. I I enjoy my fruits and vegetables and all those foods they tell you to eat when you're growing up. But hey, if I want to have a donut or a slice of pizza, I'm going to have it. And that's part of a healthy lifestyle where I think back in the day, everything was very black and white. It was either good or it was bad. And now I realize that at the end of it all, food is food. It's fuel. It's what my body needs. And it doesn't matter if I have an apple for dessert or if I go ahead and have a slice of cake. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's taking into account not just my physical health, but my mental and emotional health as well. So well said. Absolutely. We ask most of our guests this question. A lot of times people are listening to to this or other messages they hear about recovery. And, and oftentimes we hear people say, yeah, you know, that's that's great, Jason, that's great. I'm so glad it's working out well for you, but it's just not possible for me. That's just not going to happen for me. What would you say to somebody listening right now that's thinking like, wow, that's awesome, but I don't think that's going to happen for me? Yeah, I I would say that I would have thought the exact same thing six months ago, 12 months ago. There are things that I say this week that probably last week I wouldn't have believed I would have said. So never underestimate yourself. It's amazing what you can accomplish. And uh, one thing that I, I try to remind everybody now, and I remind myself of this every morning, is that I'm doing the best I can and that I'm enough. And I think right there, that's the fuel we need to uh, continue that climb of recovery or to start recovery if we need to. It may seem scary. It may seem daunting. But like I said, it's, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you trust the process, embrace it, and eventually enjoy it, which has become my recovery mantra. Wonderful. That is spectacular. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so my blog is orthorexiabites.com. And uh, on there, there is a link to the book, Starving for Survival, which is coming out very, very soon. So um, I definitely recommend checking that out. I'm also on uh, the social media platforms under Orthorexia Bites. And uh, I'm constantly sharing my story. For a long time, I was a closed book and I kept it all inside. And now there's no shutting me up. Now I'm just going to keep sharing my story. So uh, if, if anybody out there is struggling or just wants just wants a little bit of support just just reach out to me I'm always here I'm always an ear to listen or a mouth to talk so whatever you need from me I'm here but yeah it's pretty easy to find me if you just look up orthorexia bites fabulous Jason thank you so much for spending time with us today awesome thank you if you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening.